This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This week, the Clarets returned from the international break, desperate to get back to winning ways and ensure Premier League survival. This is the No Name Never podcast. Hello and welcome to the No Name Never podcast. Listeners, Today's this week's going to be a little bit different because regular host, myself, Natalie Bromley, is not actually in the country. Um, I am currently on the west coast of America enjoying some much needed time off. So this week I'm going to leave you in the hands of producer Matt. Um, he'll be joined with regular panellists Robert and Dave. I assume he will be anyway unless that changes at all. And they're going to be talking through an absolutely fantastic and really important win against Wolves. Um, what a weekend that was. I think all of us were a little bit nervous about this Wolves game on the basis that they were the side that could easily have, have, have turned us over and really put us in that difficult place trying to get out of a relegation battle. But the Clarets put in a fantastic performance, not none more than ever than, than young Dwight McNeil, who's proving to be an unbelievable asset. Um, and then obviously on top of that, we've got the result, um, the Cardiff result on Sunday, which was incredibly scary at certain points when we thought that they'd managed to pull off an unbelievable win um, at Chelsea. But uh, it wasn't to be. Luckily, albeit with some good fortune, Chelsea managed to turn it around and we end the weekend five points clear of the drop zone. So I'm going to leave you in the boys' very capable hands now to go through some main talking points. They're going to look at the financials as well. They've been released this week and look ahead to Bournemouth away next Saturday. I will be back with you next week's show. In the meantime, take Claire and up the carrots. Hello and welcome to the No Name of Podcast. I'm producer Matt and I'm joined by regular panellists Dave Roberts and Robbie Kopak. Good evening, gentlemen. Good evening. Good evening. And this week we are joined by guest panellist Tom Whitaker, who regular listeners will remember from uh, our postcards from Europe back in the, the sunny days of August. Tom, how are you doing? Evening, yeah, not so bad. Thank you, you? Yes, we're all good, thanks. Good to have you back on the podcast. Nice to be back. Thanks for having me. Good, good. So um, I think we'll start off by looking at uh, this massive win that we had at the weekend against Wolves. And uh, Dave, I just want to turn to you to start with. 
I just want to um, get a feel. I wasn't on the turf this weekend. And I wanted to get a feel of what the mood was like before the match. Was, this, was there a nervousness amongst fans that did you feel that we might still be on a, unable to kind of get the win? Or, or, or was there a bit more confidence coming out of that international break and, and the feeling that we could actually get back to winning ways? Yeah, I think there might have been a little bit of nervousness in the build-up to the game, but the um, the atmosphere seemed quite good uh, ahead of kickoff, and uh, getting an early goal uh, always makes a real difference. Getting your nose in front so early in the game, so I think that and any uh, nerves there were were calmed down. But I, I, I was pleased. I was pleased with the the build-up, the atmosphere. Um, I mean, throughout the game, in actual fact. But I think the uh, sometimes it can be a little bit nervous. Uh, in the early part and before kickoff, and I think there the, the were nerves. Understandably, the position we're in, um, it's difficult, isn't it? I think we we, we know we've got a real uh, task ahead of us. Um, every point's going to be valuable be, between now and May, um, and we knew if we get three points against Wolves, it'd be a real, real boost. And um, you know, we, we 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 set about it the right way, I thought, and the the, the crowd were. Uh, positive, I thought, throughout those nervous spells throughout the game. But I thought that, uh, on the whole, um, the crowd did a, a really good job of uh, of gene the team up from the first uh, whistle. Yeah, you all had your uh, you all had your little flags to wave as well on Saturday as part of the uh, the, the one club uh, theme that was on for the day. Uh, you mentioned the goal, one of the fastest goals probably this season in in the league as a whole. Um, Tom, just talk us through that with you. Um, it looked like something that was lifted straight from the training ground. In fact, I, I, I thought I saw Dice kind of gesturing for Wood to make that run. Um, how was it for you? Yeah, well, you know, it must have been worked on very hard on the training ground because it was a move where Chris Wood managed to stay on side. So uh, they must have done a lot of work on that. A uh, lovely ball from McNeil. Uh, we missed a little bit of that at times this season. I think some decent delivery from the set piece, especially against Leicester, the final ball was really lacking. So really good to see. A decent ball into the box. Great run from Wood. As I say, he stayed on side. Bent his run really well. Uh, yeah, nice goal and a really good time to do it as well. Caught Wolves cold a little bit, doing it so early, scoring so early. And I think, as you say, not just set the tone for the game, but for the atmosphere in the ground as well. Uh, really important to get that early goal. Really important to get the crowd on side. Uh, made a massive difference. Uh, a really well-worked goal. Really good to see. Absolutely. We, um, we, we talked a lot on the podcast this season about not conceding early. Um, and a lot is made in, in Burnley's own statistics about they, they seem to get results when they get ahead and manage to stay ahead and shut teams out. So to get ahead so early was just a boost that nobody was expecting. And everybody was probably very, very thankful for Um Robbie, you you missed the uh, the Leicester game, I think, due to fortunate traffic problems, as it turned out, really. Um, so, how do you think uh, Burnley's performance on Saturday rated for you? If you had kind of Palace at home at one end of the scale and Spurs at home at the other end of the scale, where, where did the Wolves' performance, kind of Burnley's performance against Wolves, should I say, sit for you uh, on Saturday? Uh, it's probably certainly nearer to the Spurs game, but I just think it was this one was a a bit more of a different kind of display. This one was a lot more resilient. Uh, we really had to dig in, especially in the second half when Wolves looked like a completely different side in the second half compared to the first. Um, lot, lots of last-ditch tackling, and but we took our chances and Wolves didn't. Um, I think the two uh, game-changing moments are the Cavalero chance for Wolves where he blasts it over the bar. I think it's like 10 minutes into the second half. And then our 
pretty much our only opportunity in the second half is Dwight McNeil, where he uh, faints to, to hit the ball a couple of times and then actually finds the bottom corner. So I think that's obviously the two big moments in the in, in the game. And uh, thankfully, we're on the right side of it this time. Yeah, just sticking with you for a second, Robbie. I know you, you commented on, on how you feel that Wolves quite often don't turn up against the bottom half of the table teams. I mean, we saw them dump United out of the cup a couple of weeks back with a quite an excellent performance. And but they obviously, you know, they they didn't turn up again on Saturday. It's it's a strange one, really, isn't it? That yeah, I, f- I fancied us before it again because Huddersfield have done double over them this season, and Cardiff have beaten them. Um, I just thought they were there for the taking, and obviously they do have the uh, FA Cup semi final on on Saturday. So you you do sort of look at it and go, hopefully they might rest a couple of players, which they did. They did uh, rest Jimenez and uh, Matt Doherty as well, who's a key player for them. So. When I saw the lineup, I thought it might be a bit of a lackluster Wolves display, and thankfully it was. Absolutely, yeah. There was a lot of defending um, for Burnley to do. Um, Tom, how did you feel we got on with that? I sometimes feel that that uh, as much as we have these two banks of four and and the match of the day pundits kind of like to highlight how well they work together. I, I, I personally sometimes feel we get a little bit narrow at the back and we kind of invite a lot of crosses from wide areas. And I think on another day, Wolves could have taken some of those chances and, and the result could have gone the other way. How did you view our defending on Saturday afternoon? Yeah, I don't think anyone in the ground was feeling too confident the longer that second half was drawing on. I think the the real problem was, like you say, we invited so much pressure on. Uh, the, the midfield was just getting bypassed at will. Uh, there was no out ball. It wasn't being held up. Uh, the ball was constantly coming back. We weren't keeping hold of it. Um, I think, to having said all that, Tom Heaton's not really had an awful lot to do. I think he's. I think they had one shot that he had to save. He's not really had to come for too many crosses or anything like that. Uh, the full-backs did a decent job. I think Trara is quite a difficult player to play against for, for Taylor. Uh, and I think they always had the overlap on the other side as well. But uh, I think the real standout at the back was Tarkovsky and, and me. Obviously, there was the mistake uh, letting that goal in the last minute against Leicester where you point the finger at Tarkovsky, give that free kick away as well. But he had an absolutely superb game. Ben Mee as well, won every every header, blocks, uh, you know, so many blocks in the box, blocking shots, throwing themselves in the way of things. I think Wolves are a little bit light up front and especially resting Jimenez as well. So that did help. Uh, you could see they had the run in the midfield, especially for the first 20 minutes of the second half. Um but if you've got two centre-halves that you can rely on and you know that uh, where Wolves' strength is in midfield, but that they haven't got as much up front as some teams will play this season, perhaps funneling, you know, allowing them to get the ball on the edge of the box was the best tactic uh, and it paid off. Uh, can't say fairer than that, really. I think probably we we did allow too much pressure on on the, on the centre-halves. We, we let them have too much of the ball. We didn't keep it well enough, but... Uh, when when it mattered, when they had to stand up and be counted, Ben Mee and James Tarkovsky both absolutely fantastic, and they have had hit and miss seasons, but both of them were brilliant. So yeah, uh, it's very hard to pick between them two for man of the match. I think. Yeah, absolutely agree with that, Robbie. I know you highlighted uh, James Tarkovsky. I think today on Twitter, um, do you think his fortnight or ten days away with England kind of helped him? Do you think that kind of maybe lifted him back up to the level we know he can play at? I was worried that before going into the international break, I was worried that maybe the fact that he wasn't going to get a break uh, might have been a hindrance. And I was almost even calling you know, for him to be rested for a little bit and give Gibson a go. 
Um, but he's proved us all wrong on Saturday. Um, do you think that his time with England has helped him? Uh, possibly. I don't, it's, it's always hard to call. But I just think, I just think on Saturday, I just thought defensively we kind of a little bit went back to basics. We went ugly again, and I think Tarkovsky's game when he when he does do the basic the basic stuff and just does the nitty gritty stuff, he's really good at it. And I think sometimes he gets too caught up in the the Hollywood passes as as people like to call them and I, he just cut that out a little bit on Saturday he, he just tried to be a bit more uh, no-nonsense and it just suited I just think it just suited us especially in a game where we weren't particularly at our best um, especially when we were under a lot of pressure it, it, it was just a case of just doing the simple things right and I think it was that that got us over the line and made Tchaikovsky back to his back to his best yeah I agree he, he, he definitely was uh, was back to his best on Saturday afternoon um, I think you all everybody on the turf breathed a little easier when, when that goal went in for McNeil in the second half Tom you just want to talk us through that again because that it almost came from nothing really there was a, a Wolves clearance that, that Tarkovsky as we were mentioning just got his head on and from there on I think everyone was probably screaming for him to kind of play Wood in and then Wood looked frustrated when he wasn't played in but it was the right choice in the end for McNeil and uh, he's just going from strength to strength yeah he's some player isn't he uh, I think first thing to say about the goal is uh, uh, I think Jeff Hendrick deserves some credit uh, I know there's always a lot of debate about Hendrick personally I don't think he had a very good game uh, he, he just he gave the ball away so much but what he did do what he does do is he grafts and he works hard and we didn't have a lot of that in the second half, but he chased that ball into the corner. He made the full-back rushes clearance, and that's why Tarkovsky won the header, and it all goes from there. So uh, I think he deserves some credit for that, Hendrick. Good header from Tarkovsky, as you say. And then, yeah, absolutely superb feat from McNeil. Uh, he's just got no fear, has he? And, and a lot of the wingers that we play and the way that Daesh wants his wingers to play, it does tend to be quite conservative, you know. It's uh, it's it's drift inside. It's uh, it's just stand the balls up to the back post. You d- we don't have that many players who have got that kind of uh, attitude where they just want to get the ball and, and run at teams. And uh, and it makes a massive difference having McNeil in there. It's fantastic feat. He tied that lad in knots. Uh, when you see uh, the the last dummy before he actually shoots, it looks like the bloke's going to get whiplash. He shifts that hard. So I think it was size. And then, uh, you know, it's the Portuguese international keeper in there, and he, he didn't even see it, didn't even move. Fantastic finish. And it was such a big goal because, as I say, in the second half, we were coming more and more under pressure, more and more under the cosh. I don't know what anybody else's nerves were like, but I was convinced Wolves were going to get one any second. And as soon as that second goal went in, the, the roof lifted off. And I don't think we were under pressure after that. I think that one is the game. And it was a really, really important goal. Fantastically well taken. What a player that lad is. What a player. Is. It's been, a, it's been a, a, a delightful surprise from his emergence this season. It really has. And, uh, and I think we're all just praying that we can hold on to him. So, um, I mean, th- there was only one, technically one shot on target from uh, from both sides so, uh, in the match. So, uh, not a huge amount to get our teeth into. So, so moving forward, Dave, l- looking at kind of looking at the running that we've got and, and, and looking at the fact that, you know, Cardiff were didn't get anything out of the game rightly or wrongly yesterday. Are you feeling a lot more confident about our running now? Um, I'm I'm feeling slightly more confident now. Chelsea got the two goals back. Yeah, I mean, everyone was watching that uh, on Sunday afternoon and wondering what was going on with uh, with Cardiff getting the lead. It was uh, a worrying time. And, you know, the, the rights and wrongs of it, the... the uh, 
the decisions did go against Cardiff, and there's no doubt about that. But they do have a rather a one-eyed manager in in Neil Warnock, who uh, is all you know happy to to highlight that, but not when they get a last-minute um, offside goal against Brighton earlier in the season. So. You know, these things do even themselves out, and in other circumstances, with with other managers, you might have a bit more sympathy. But with uh, with Neil Warnock, I think that kind of sympathy and any sympathy there might be uh, goes out the window. Um, and un- unlucky as they have been on on Sunday, um, they've they've benefited from it earlier in the season. So we are where we are with that, and that cushion we've got now does help. But the vital game is. Let's say the vital game is going to be Cardiff. We we know that um, they're coming to our patch. Um, you know we we're looking to get the results against them. Would you go as far as saying it's a a, a must win in that scenario? Perhaps not. Maybe it's more of a um, a must not lose game in in that respect. But I think the the Bournemouth game. What well, we're obviously going to come on and review that uh, later. Um, the Bournemouth game is perhaps. Uh, just as important as well from that point of view. If we were able to get three points down there um, and just push ourselves ahead and make that gap uh, three points bigger than it is now, assuming that uh, Cardiff don't beat Manchester City in the week, um, then that does put a different reflection on things. So, um, yeah, the the Bournemouth game, I think, is going to be equally as important, bearing in mind some of the really tough fixtures we have got between between now and May. Yeah, I think... (laughs) Another three points at Bournemouth that would put us eight points clear of Cardiff, uh, albeit for, with a game in hand for them. You know, a victory over Cardiff at the turf on the thirteenth, you know, could put us what eleven points uh, ahead of them, uh, and with and leave them with only fifteen points to play for against Brighton, Liverpool, Fulham, Palace, and, and United. So. I think you're right, Dave. I, th- I think it's certainly a, a must-not-lose game that game on the thirteenth, but. As long as we can maintain a good that level of performance that we showed on Saturday against Bournemouth and carry it on into the Cardiff game, we should be confident that we we should get a result from that. Really, um, Tom, what's your uh, what's your feelings about the running now that we uh, we've got another game tucked away and uh, just the just the six games left? Yeah, I've always thought that uh, while it's probably going to be quite close, I've always thought that we're going to have more than Cardiff. We've given ourselves a really good opportunity now. Well, the, ourselves and the ref yesterday have given ourselves a really good chance. If we win the next two games, then I think that's what's done. Because I can't see Cardiff getting four wins from the last five games. So, I mean, I'd take a point, I think, next week. Um, keep the momentum going. But if we can keep that gap, if we can you know, keep that big gap over Cardiff, they've still got some really tough games to come as well. Uh, I think they've still got to play Liverpool and Man United at Old Trafford as well. Um, I know we've got a tricky run in as well, but I think if we need points from the last two, Everton and Arsenal, we can get them. Um, what that what the weekend has done more than anything else is it's took some pressure off. Um, I think if we'd have not won on, on Saturday, then we're going down to Bournemouth and you've got hanging over your head, we're only sort of, let's say we're only two or three points above Cardiff. If we lose that, Cardiff have, have got the game in hand again. Uh, and it puts a lot more pressure on us in that home game. Whereas uh, if we can get something at Bournemouth, even if it's just the point, to go into that Cardiff game, six points clear of them, they have to come out at us. They know that a draw is not good enough for them. It And it really does shift the momentum for that home game. Uh, that home game is going to be the big one, of course, as we all know. 
I think we're good enough to beat them technically. And I think if we can get something next week, then we'll have a fantastic chance to do it. And if we do get that win, then I think we're as good as safe. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with that. Yeah, I, I can't see Cardiff getting that many wins. It's, I don't think they've got really the consistency to that. I think Chelsea didn't turn up much in, in the first half on 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 Sunday, and and Cardiff took their chance. But um, yeah, I, I can't see them producing performances like that kind of every weekend between now and the end of the season. So. During the uh, during the international break, uh, the news came out that John Walters was having to retire due to injury. He'd, uh, he, Dave, he's not done much for us at Burnley in this time that he's been here, but he's he's certainly uh, certainly had a, a decent career, and uh, probably a shame that we didn't see more of him in his time at Burnley. Yeah, he's had a fantastic career uh, both uh, domestically and uh, internationally for uh, for Ireland as well. Um, and it is a shame he's he's had injuries since he, he came in. He's been unlucky with uh, with injuries, and we haven't really had the chance to see the best of him. We haven't seen uh, much of him, unfortunately. It's one of those signings that was you know, it was a player later in his career, but had Premier League experience. We've gone from being a team where we didn't have many uh, players with Premier League experience. We have brought players in now who perhaps have that extra bit of guile. In, in combination with the players we brought through and young signings like, uh, well, young players like Dwight McNeil as well, it's trying to get a balance, isn't it? And I think that um, you know, someone like that could have worked for us. In the end, it hasn't done. Um, and obviously, we wish him uh, uh, wish him all the best in uh, in retirement. I think he's uh, probably got an eye on uh, on a job in uh, punditry. I think he's uh, he does that quite a lot, doesn't he? And he uh, seems to be quite good at it as well. Yeah, he does seem to crop up here, though, and everywhere now nowadays. Um, another bit of news that, uh, or comments that came out during the international break, Robbie, was some comments that Matty Vidra made uh, in an interview leading up to the England and Czech Republic game. Um, he mentioned that there was a number of loan offers that came in January for him, um, which Daesh blocked out, telling him that he was a, a different kind of attacker and, and that he needed to keep in the squad. But Considering how little we've seen of him, you can kind of understand his frustrations and not being allowed to go and get a bit of game time for the second half of the season. Um, when he has come on in the last couple of games, he's looked a little better, looked a little brighter, a little more creative. Um, do you see us hanging on to him in the summer or do you think his frustrations are just going to get the better of him and he's going to head off to try and find some regular first-team football? I, I, I hope we'll see him next season. I do think... He obviously has a little bit of something. We haven't seen an awful lot of him, um, but he does actually mention in his uh, in his interview that the two games that he started, he actually looked like a decent little player for us. Um, uh, it was the Bournemouth four 0 win, wasn't it? Where he, I think, was his first start, and I think he got the first goal in that game as well. Uh, then he started the game at Cardiff. I think he played about an hour. Um, didn't have a terrible game, and then we haven't really seen much of him since. Uh, like you said, he cut, he's come off come off the bench the last few, uh, the last few games, a little, few little cameos, and he's looked a little bit more, a little brighter, a little sharper. Maybe it is just a case of getting um, that diet level fitness, which we've talked about uh, quite a lot. Um, but yeah, I, I totally understand his frustrations. Um, I think a lot of things that he said in the interview are a lot of things that us fans have said. Um, in terms of him only getting like five ten minutes here and there, and then when you're a goal scorer and you like he's 
you've got to remember, he scored 20 odd goals in the Championship last season, as did Chris Wood when we signed him and Andre, and Andre Gray when we signed him from Brentford. Like, those, those players got a chance, and Vidra hasn't really had that opportunity to shine yet. So, But we'll have to wait and see until the summer, see what happens with him. Yeah, I certainly hope we hold on to him. I, I hope his frustrations kind of, you know, don't get the better of him and he, and he heads off. I think there's, there's definitely a lot of potential there. It's just a case of trying to fight your way into Daish's team because it, it doesn't change very often. Um, another bit of uh, off-the-field news that came out uh, in the last week was the, the publication of the, of the financial report for uh, the 2017-18 to 18 season. And um, it made some interesting reading, I thought. And uh, I think, Dave, you're going to kind of help us walk through the highlights of this. A lot of, uh, a lot of increase, increase in figures across the board, really, turnover and profit and things like that. Do you want to just walk us through some of the highlights? Yeah, just in terms of an overview, it's um, a record for, for Burnley, both in terms of uh, turnover and profit. Um, in terms of uh, the, the majority of the revenue, as we know, comes in from the TV deals, but there's also an element built in in terms of performance. So the higher up you finish in the league, you get extra payments for that. It's, uh, I think it's a couple of million for each uh, each position now. So finishing seventh last season boosted that up. And Burnley ended up with just a smidge under £139 million in revenue, which is you know, a record figure. And I was going back, looking back through some of the previous years, and uh, even as recently as 2014, Burnley's turnover, that you remember that was for a, um, a promotion season when we uh, come up from the championship, um, the turnover in that year was 19.6 million. So it's massively, you know, only four years on, massively increase from uh, the levels we had um, at that point in time. Obviously, after that, we had a jump up, um, but it's jumped up, uh, increased since then in terms of the uh, uh, staying in the Premier League and also particularly last season's performance. Um, the counterside to that as well is that um, you've, you've also got, um, uh, in terms of the outgoings, the wage bills going up. So we've seen the 33% uh, uplift in the wage bill, it's gone up from just over sixty million uh, to just over eighty million. Uh, part of that will be a natural increase, so reinvesting in the squad and the players we're we're bringing in. But there's also an element as well with the way it's structured now, is that uh, there's a, a large performance-based element, and that kind of works both ways. It's, it's mentioned, I think it's right to mention it within the uh, the financial reports that the biggest risk to to Burnley as a football club is relegation from the Premier League. And there are clauses in there for if the worst was to happen and at whatever point in the future Burnley weren't able to survive in the Premier League, um, that the clauses in the contracts, the playing contracts, do reflect that. But equally, we've got the plus side as well. We've got where um, the team does well, the players do well, they perform, and we have a season like we had last season. Um, the contracts are there to reflect that as well. So... Um, I think there, there is kind of a balance there. There's a natural increase that's happening anyway. And then on top of that last year, there'll be a, an element that comes through in terms of the uh, the bonuses for Sean Dyche and his staff and also the, the, the playing staff uh, as well. Um, the upshot of it is that there was uh, record profit coming through. So we actually made, uh, as a football club, £36 million profit for the year, which sounds like a, a massive figure. And the people saying, well, you know, we should spend all of that on, um, you know, 
players in terms of transfers and, and wages. And if it was down to some supporters, that would all be um, probably spent in the in the January transfer window. The reality of that figure is that, uh, well, the majority of that figure is probably derived from uh, two outgoing transfers. So we are talking back 12 months here. We're going back to the time uh, for the previous 12 months. It's for the, C, it's the year ending June 2018. So we're going back in time. And in that 12 month period, um, we sold Michael Keane and we also sold Andre Gray. So a big chunk of that figure, the majority of it, in fact, is from uh, the revenue uh, that we got from selling those two players on. Um, And since then, we have invested. So because the cutoff for for that was June, we've brought in the likes of um, Ben Gibson um, and Matt Vidra in the uh, summer transfer window. Although on the flip side of that, we've obviously got revenue coming back in for um, uh, Sam Vokes in the January window this time. So it's it's an ongoing situation and the board don't have um, lots of uh, investment from uh, a billionaire sugar daddy out there who's pumping money into a football club. So they've got to be mindful about the future of the football club with the way that they manage the finances. And there'll always be fans who say, you know, we should be spending more. Um, it is increasing in terms of the, the outlay. So as I say, a 33% increase in the overall wage bill. Um, and I think we'll see that increase, but I think it's going to be increased in a, a managed and responsible way. And it's not going to please everybody all the time. But I think we have to put our trust in the guys who've got Burnley to this position. Um, we've had, uh, well, seven years with Sean Dyche now, his 300th game on the, on Saturday, we didn't uh, pick up on when we were talking about the match. Um, but yeah, uh, 300 matches in, in charge. And he's done a decent job for us so far. I know there's been one or two murmurings earlier in the season. That seems to have piped down a little bit now. And I think that the board and the manager have done a reasonable job in that time. And the uh, the financial figures are a lot rosier than a lot of football clubs. You look what's out there in terms of some of the other football clubs. Um, you know, in the likes of Bournemouth, who we were playing uh, at the weekend, um, they had figures coming out at the same time. They came out, I think, the day before. Um, and they've had to rely on, the, well, the, their wage bill's bigger. And they've got a lot of extra investment from a, uh, a Russian billionaire who's pumping money into their football club. So there's a bit of a difference still between Burnley and uh, and some of the other teams out there, even in the uh, the lower reaches of the Premier League. Yeah, it certainly, it certainly makes for interesting reading. I, I opened the full report and I was trying to make head and the tail of it and, uh, and struggling in places. But um, do, you, do you think it kind of publishing a report like that and, and, and getting the messages out about you know the headline figures... Do you think that appeases the people, the fans who are calling for bigger uh, sign-ins and calling for more spending, you know, to actually say, well, look, you know, that's the money we've actually got, you know, just because we sold him and sold them and just because we've got this TV money, you know, this is actually what we've got and and this is, you know, these are the costs we've got of actually running the club. Do you think that helps, um, you know, the board's corner? Um, probably not. I think I think people quite often just see the headline figure. So they see, you know, you've got a, a turnover of 139 million, you've got a profit of 36 million. It's like, well, you know, Burnley aren't investing. Burnley should be spending that 36 million now um, and not thinking about a longer term scenario because there will be ups and downs. You're not, you're not going to be in a situation where you're going to be able to 
um, get the revenue we got for Andre Gray and uh, Michael Keane every season. Um, I think the, over a period of time, these things average themselves out and the board need to make sure from a cash flow situation that they're able to invest in the in the club in terms of the players. I and mean, we've seen infrastructure invest, investment. We've had the uh, 10 million plus already at, um, at Gawthorpe for the training ground. We've had the uh, ground improvements uh, in terms of the corner stands as well. Um, and then obviously we've, we've seen a 33% increase in terms of the uh, uh, the staffing costs in terms of the, the wage bill, which is predominantly within their, uh, the players' wages. So we are still playing catch-up to an extent, um, but the fact that we've been able to keep our place in the Premier League uh, enables a little bit of stability, but we have to be mindful that that may not always be the case. And I think there's always a little bit of... Um, uh, reticence to to push the boat out. I, I think quite rightly so. I think I think if we got to the situation where we were spending every last penny, and you know we'd, we'd invested another um, forty million, and and that figure was a break even, then th- what would we have got from it? Yes, we may have some extra players in in there. I mean, we, we've got to bear in mind this is going back twelve months. So with with that and making a thirty six million pound profit, we, we finished seventh in the division. So it, it, it is fine lines within there in terms of uh, of what else you can uh, achieve with it. So you, you never well, we're not going to be in a situation realistically where we're going to be pushing um, to the levels of you know you, you look at the, the the big six clubs and you look at the wages of probably the next ones down are maybe Leicester and Everton and the, the amounts of um, uh, revenue they have and the amount of investment they have from uh, again rich owners. It's a little bit of a different uh, situation, different scenario for Burnley. I think most people outside the club recognise that the club's a well-run club. We've done very well within the constraints that we have. The manager does mention it from time to time when he's uh, asked about it in interviews. Um, And I think overall it is managed well. But I can also understand frustrations because we are who we are in the situation we are with the, um, the, the financial constraints that there are and... I think it, you know, other than being a buyout and being bought out by a, a foreign millionaire, which doesn't always uh, uh, work out well, as we've seen with other clubs, um, Burnley's going to have to get by on on its own business model, and this is the model we have, and it's not going to please everyone. But I think on the whole, um, the balance is reasonably good, and I think we just need to continue pushing that. Again, some people say we don't push it hard enough. But I think there will be a progression. We've seen that already, and we'll see that going forward. And I think stability's helped as well, having the same manager in there rather than other clubs who are having to, um, you know, shell out all sorts of compensation for for managers and staff coming and going every year. Um, having the stability in there has been a, a big boost as well. Yeah, it certainly is. Uh, Tom, what did you uh, what what did you make of the report and the headlines that came out last week and the numbers? Uh, and where do you sit? Do you do are you looking at that profit and asking why it's not being spent on playing staff? Or are you more of a kind of, well, you know, if it all goes wrong in these last six games and we drop out and we lose all the TV money, we need that money to fall back on? Uh, I have to say, uh, you know, you sort of do the fag packet calculations in your head and you think we made X on Gray and X on Keane. And, and I probably, I would say once the report came out, I was surprised how big the wage bill was, actually. Um, I, I, if you'd have asked me to guess before it came out, I would never have said it was anything like 81 million. Uh, I'll take, obviously, on board the point that probably a lot of that is because we finished so high in the league. We paid out a lot 
uh, a lot of it's performance related. Um, but uh, yeah, I would say actually, uh, I, I could see, uh, you know, the question you asked Dave earlier, I could see more where the board are coming from when I saw the report, actually, I have to say, because uh, like I said, I didn't think we were spending out that much on wages. Um, what what you do wonder though is, uh, and, you know, we spent a, a fair chunk in the summer. I think the fact that we've spent it on players who don't really play is the biggest issue there. But come January, I think really we, if we do stay up, then we're going to be lucky um, because I think really when you see that kind of profit, even with what we were spending on wages, then there, there surely must have been 15, 20 million that we could have spent on one or two players that would just give us that little boost. Um, like I say, it looks like potentially we might get away with it and we might stay up anyway. But uh, I think when you see that kind of profit headline, it's it is difficult to to think maybe, in the, you know, maybe that was about the right spend in the summer, but it's difficult to say uh, that we couldn't have done more in the January window. Um, I know there's other factors at play. It's who, who are you going to get to come and can you get them for five million cheaper in the summer and that sort of thing. But um, yeah, me personally, I was I was slightly heartened by it because it, it made a bit more sense to me seeing the breakdown where some of that money has gone and uh, and why, you know, with, with the fact that the Keenan Gray sales have, have made such a big impact on that profit as well, it, it did make more sense to me as to where some of that money's going. Uh without seeing a breakdown of the wage bill, of course. But, yeah, I, I was surprised it was that much. So, in that sense, uh, yeah, in that sense, I I was, I was could see where the board are coming from a bit more. But I still think uh, that it, the January transfer window, it does put that in even kind of more stark focus. And I think what Dave said about a lot of people just see the headlines. Um, yeah, I don't think that's great PR for the club in the fact that, you know, we're, we've come out the transfer window trying to make a profit. And yet we've made 36 million last summer and, and we're in the middle of a relegation battle. So uh, some, yeah, so I see, see both sides really. I see some positives to it and some negatives to it. But I suppose if you if you just look at last season uh, and, and forget about what's happened this year, to, to finish seventh in the Prem while making that sort of profit is a great achievement. And that's something that, uh, you know, however badly we're doing this season and however much you think we could have spent more and we should be doing X, Y, Z in January, uh, that as a standalone achievement, we've got to be proud of that as well. That's really impressive. And there's not many football clubs that are posting a profit. There's not many football clubs posting a profit of that size. And to be achieving on the pitch while we're doing that as well, uh, that's got to be something that we've we've got to look at and and, and take the positive from as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Robbie, just not put wanting to put the cart before the horses and not wanting to get carried away. But let's say we do we do manage to stay up. Um, there's a number of people coming out of contract in the summer, kind of players who, who you know, we're not going to be able to sell on for anything. I'm thinking the likes of Bardsley, uh, Stephen Ward. Um, do you think these are the kind of players we'll be looking to kind of offload, get off the wage bill to make room for others? Or do you see Dice kind of giving people extra 12 months here and there and, and then therefore, you know, maybe not bringing in that many names because, you know, there's only 11... 11 spaces on the pitch and, and we know he's not one to kind of chop and change from week to week well yeah we always need backup um yeah i was looking i was looking at our uh, our contract list earlier on today and i'm not too sure where i stand on because obviously like like you say phil bards is out of contracts and you think well he's in, well into his 30s he's been first choice for a lot of this season but he was actually brought in as a backup player um 
but for the amount of games that he's played this season and how well he's actually played since he's uh, come back into the side, he might be worth just keeping around for another 12 months. Um, Stephen Ward, again, he's been a great servant for us, hasn't played a lot of football in the last uh, this season, in, in fact. And especially with the form of Charlie Taylor at the moment, you probably expect Stephen Ward to be offloaded. Um, and then I expect Peter, Peter Crouch to, to move on. Uh, I, I think there is um, sort of voices coming out of the club that we do want to uh, lower the average age of the squad. I think we have got one of the uh, oldest squads in the league and I think we do want to reduce that slightly. Um, I think it was last week with uh, the Brig interview in the uh, Lancashire Telegraph, they did say that they want to uh, have one of the best academies in the Premier League. So maybe we might be looking to... Uh, bring through a couple of youth players I'm not, I'm not too sure on that it certainly will be a, an interesting summer like you say with, with Mike rigging the place as well now and, and, and kind of influencing our direction that we take um, look forward to that and and looking forward we look forward to Bournemouth a trip to Bournemouth on uh, on Saturday God bless him uh, our running away hero set off uh, last Thursday I think to, to go down there one of his longer trips um, I hope all our listeners have managed to uh, donate to Scott's uh, mammoth achievements at some point over the season. I think he's aiming to maybe try and get to 38,000 by the end of the season. That's 1,000 for, or 2,000 it'll be for every for every runaway that he'll have done. Um, so Dave, looking ahead to Bournemouth, there's not many uh, not many games to look at, looking at the cheat sheet that he sent through to us. Um, so give us a very uh, brief and concise history of our trips down to the south coast. And then uh, we'll, we'll have a look at how we feel we're going to get on on Saturday. Yeah, it is a, a, a shorter summary this week. We don't have as quite as a long and illustrious history against Bournemouth as we do against some of the other teams we've played this season. And just looking at the away games, because we are playing the away, we've had 13, 13 previous uh, visits to Dean Court, uh, as, as it's always been known previously, Vitality Stadium for sponsorship purposes now. Um, and we've just had three wins out of those 13 matches. But in, in percentage terms, that's uh, actually not too bad compared to some of the other um, away grounds we've been to this season. Um, the very first match we played against Bournemouth goes right back to 1966. Um, that was actually an FA Cup third round match we played down there. And they were actually, they weren't Bournemouth, AFC Bournemouth then, it was Bournemouth and, uh, and Boscombe uh, way back then. Um, and we managed a, a one all draw back there in January 1966. Um, and then three three days later, came back to Turf Moor and beat them 7-0, although we did go out uh, 4-3 to Tottenham in the next round. Um, and then you've got a big jump after that. That was the first game in 1966, and you've got to go uh, forward to 1984 uh, for the next meeting, um, which we lost. Uh, that was under uh, John Bond's uh, managership. Uh, we uh, lost 1-0 down there in April uh, 1984. Um, and then going through our first victory down there wasn't until 1995. We had another couple of draws and a, a defeat. And then in 1995, uh, under Jimmy Mullen, uh, we had a 2-0 victory. That's uh, Chris Finnicum uh, and Kurt Nogan scored the goals in a 2-0 win in October 1995. Um, uh, we had a 0-0 draw with Adrian Heath as manager. Uh, another couple of defeats, uh, one under Chris Waddle. And then a heavy one, understand Turnant. Um, that was uh, November 1998. 
So not long after uh, Stan Turner had come in uh, as manager of Burnley, we had a, a 5-0 defeat down at Bournemouth. Um, but by the following season, um, we played them in the February. That was the 1999-2000 season. Uh, we managed a 1-0 win. Uh, Andy Payton uh, scored the goal, uh, 1-0 win uh, down there. And that was literally just a couple of days before... Um, uh, we had a, a a very big signing on Valentine's Day, um, 2000. Ian Wright signed for Burnley just a couple of days afterwards, partly because uh, Andy Payton actually been uh, sent off uh, against Bristol Rovers, and uh, Stan Turner wanted striking cover. Brought uh, Ian Wright in. Didn't play too many games. Didn't start too many games, um, but he had a, an important part in. Uh, pushing Burnley towards promotion that season. And that 1-0 win before he signed with uh, Andy Payton scoring, he was the top scorer that season uh, with 27 goals. Um, another vital one down at Bournemouth for a 1-0 win. Um, and then another gap then, we didn't play them again until 2014. Uh, we had a 1-1 draw uh, under Sean Dyche uh, with uh, Keith Tracy scoring the, the goal. Um, and then we've had uh, just two Premier League meetings prior to Saturday. Uh, we had a defeat in the first match. Uh, that was a, a two-one, uh, two, <coughs> excuse me, a two-one defeat. Um, Sam Vokes scored the goal, um, and then last season, a fantastic win, two-one. Uh, Chris Wood and uh, Robbie Brady scored the goals. Yes, I remember that one. That was I was right in the middle of a, a wonderful run through during the autumn and our charge up to the heady heights of fourth place. Um, a great night down on the south coast that was. Tom, looking at Bournemouth's um, looking at Bournemouth's form, they've actually only won two games since the uh, since the start of 2019. They currently sit in 12th position on 38 points, and maybe that you know they feel they may have done enough to, uh, to to guarantee the survivals. Certainly, they're running after after the playoffs. They've got Brighton away, Fulham at home, Southampton away, Spurs at home, and then Palace away on the last day of the season. There's probably a few points uh, that they can gain in that to make sure that they are safe. Um, do you fancy our chances? You know, there's certainly, uh, you know, they're not picking up points left, right and centre at the minute. No, I think they're a lot better at home than they are away. It's a shame it's not at the turf because I'd really fancy us then. But uh, yeah, there's no reason why we can't go there and get something. Uh, I know Newcastle got a point there last time, uh, last time they played at home. So yeah, I, you know, like you say, they're not in very good form. They've not been for a few months now as well. Uh, it, uh, I think you're right as well in what you say that they, they're they not really in any danger of relegation. So you, when you're playing teams who are sort of comfortably mid-table at this time of the year and you really need the points, that always plays in your favour as well. So, yeah, I don't think we've got anything to fear there. Go down, keep it tight for 20 minutes, try and nick the first goal. And if we do that, then we've got a great chance of getting something. And I'd be happy with a point down there. Uh, a win would be fantastic. But if we can get a point, it's another point we nudge ahead of Cardiff. It means we're going to that Cardiff game six points clear of them. No reason why we can't do that. So, yeah, I'm, I'm uh, quietly optimistic. And, uh, and Robbie, do you share Tom's views on that? Or are you uh, a little more kind of uh, reserved on our chances? No, I'm actually quite confident going into it. We, we got a good win there uh, last season. Um I, I don't think it's going. To, I don't think it'll be pretty again. I think it is going to be one of those um, back to the walls kind of displays. But I can see us maybe nicking something, uh, maybe a one-nil win, or perhaps just scraping through a nil-nil draw. 
all good. I think it's all positive all around. Dave, are you predicting a win for us down there? I'd be delighted with a win. I think I'm uh, more likely to be a little bit reserved. I'll uh, I'll predict a 1-1 draw. I think uh, um, a point will be a decent result down there. Um, Bill's on three points against Wolves and every point we get. I think if you get a point away from home in the Premier League, um, every point away from home is a good point. So, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm going to go for a 1-1 draw. Lovely, yeah. I think we'd all take a take a point from there. I don't think anyone's predicting Cardiff getting anything at City on Wednesday night. So we'll be going into the game five points ahead of them, level on matches, get a point or three against Bournemouth, and then uh, and then Cardiff don't play next weekend. So it goes, it rolls over to the next weekend, and we can hopefully pull away even further. Um, by beating Cardiff at the turf but let's not get ahead of ourselves let's take as Sean says one game at a time and listeners we've got an extra guest for you this week on the Known and Never podcast all the way from County Mayo in Ireland is Rob Murphy the host of the Mayo News Football Podcast Rob welcome to the Known and Never podcast absolute honour to be honest you know first long time listener first time caller type situation here absolutely and you're coming off the back of a very big weekend for Mayo Yes, a huge weekend uh, for Mayo winning the National League. So a major trophy for a county that's been starved of trophies and starved of success despite being among the very, very best teams in the country. So uh, yeah, it was a big, big moment. I was trying to think of an analogy for you, Matt, and I think it's not a whole long way off Arsenal winning the FA Cup a few years ago uh, when everyone felt it was a bit of a reward for Arsene Wenger after so much disappointment. And I think this uh, league title was celebrated more than most league titles would be celebrated because it was a breakthrough moment for Mayo. So I guess the question that every listener will be be asking themselves at the minute is, what's a guy from Mayo doing following the Clarets? Yeah, it's a small, a, a lower league football club uh, would have been the, would, the way it would have been described back in the day where there was a, most Irish fans or most fans of the Premier League in Ireland would follow the big teams, Liverpool, Man United, Arsenal, Spurs, all that. Um, Aston Villa be big and Everton would be big as well. But yeah, and when I was younger, people would, would kind of be really kind of taken aback by the idea of following someone outside the Premier League, let alone uh, as it was a Division 4 team when I started following them. But the link is my mum grew up in Nelson. Uh, her family moved over from Northern Ireland when she was very young. She ended up teaching in Burnley. But yeah, when I used to go over to visit my gran, I remember going into a shop and seeing a Burnley poster up and just inquiring about why people from Nelson supported them. And I was told that most people in Nelson support Burnley. So I said, well, they shall be my team as well. I think I bought a Sibutio team that day. but. Uh, with Burnley on the box so uh, yeah that was it that was my start I actually this is no word of a lie and I remember to to exactly going home finding the Sunday Times they used to print the league tables on one whole page back in those days and scrolling down from the uh, second division I, I knew they weren't in the first division and bringing bringing my finger all the way down the page until 16th in division four which is where they were so I wear that as a badge of honour to this day and you've been able to see them climb up those divisions over the last 30 years, and now you don't have to scroll quite so far. In fact, last season, you only had to scroll seven places to find them. It must have been great following them last season from afar. Yeah, and it was incredible because maybe people around here, you know, people who follow Premier League in Ireland, and a lot of people do. It's a huge, huge uh, attraction to people over here, the Premier League in general and soccer in general. But and forgive me for calling it soccer folks, but uh, that's what happens when you follow Gaelic football over here. You're, you're forced to differentiate. But yeah, like in that sense and in that context, people used to be saying to me, oh, you don't want to be in the Europa League, do you? And I was like, you have no idea how far we have come to get here. This Europa League means a hell of a lot more to us maybe than the average Everton fan, perhaps. But uh, 
yeah, certainly it was an amazing experience. And I have to say, I, I really enjoyed listening into Phil and the commentaries uh, from places like Olympiacos. It, it just was something that I, I felt an immense amount of pride. Uh, I'm sure a lot of Burnley fans did. I understand it disrupted the start of our season and who knows, maybe we're still paying for it. But uh, yeah, that's that's the story. I've followed them for many, many years now and uh, I've gone over when I can. I get a game in a season if I'm lucky. I went over to the Newcastle game there a few weeks ago. It uh, wasn't a very good one, unfortunately, but uh, it was great fun to be among the Burnley fans in the way. And yeah, you t- you talk about um, you know how the, the bigger teams are the more popular teams over there in Ireland. The, the Man United, your Liverpool's, your Everton's, your your Aston Villas in the day. Uh, Burnley have got quite a you know a number of Irish players in the squad now. Has that raised Burnley's profile so much over there in the last couple of years? It's a great question. Not in the sense that I'm suddenly coming across a lot more Burnley fans, but definitely in the sense that you know the morning news and national radio, the first bit of football coverage from the Premier League will will oftentimes be about you know Jeff Hendrick scoring a goal for Burnley, and and they definitely do get elevated in terms of the uh, coverage from that perspective. There's no question. And that is really good news for us. I mean, I think it's probably, I don't know whether it's lost, maybe some of the Burnley fans I talked to in the away end in Newcastle maybe underestimated how big Robbie Brady is in Ireland and Jeff Hendrick are, is as well. Robbie Brady, because of the famous goal against Italy in, in the European Championships, I mean, he'll always be a hero and a legend. And we do have a, a kind of a storytelling culture around our sport in Ireland where, you know, once a guy has a moment like that, like Ray Houghton in 88 or whatever, for their forever in folklore. So Robbie Brady does have that element of uh, attraction and he's a huge name. And Jeff Hendrick too, because he played a big role for the Irish team over the last, uh, last decade or so, or a little bit less than that, maybe last five or six years. And uh, both of them are key parts of Ireland's hopes of getting to European Championships as well. So yeah, I definitely think that's a big factor. There's no question. Yeah, I believe you were at one of the qualifiers uh, last week. Um, and Jeff Hendrick, by all accounts, had, had had good games whilst he was away with the Irish team. What did you make of his performance? Yeah, it was interesting because I, wa- I wasn't impressed with him at St. James's Park for Burnley. Um, but I, I think both himself and Cork barely got on the ball. And it was interesting. It just didn't seem to work very well. I know Burnley could have nicked a goal or maybe even a couple of goals in that game. And maybe it would have been a classic you know, low percentage uh, possession uh, result for Burnley had it worked out. But by and large, it was disappointing to see them not getting the ball down and passing it a little bit um, and just being ineffective at disrupting Newcastle's game. And then you go and sit in the Aviva Stadium and watch them have an absolute outstanding game uh, against Georgia there uh, last Tuesday night as we chat. So, yeah, I was really impressed with him. Robbie Brady was good that night too. Gave the ball away a little bit though on occasion. So he, he is prone to that. But Hendrick was absolutely head and shoulders above most of the players on the pitch and uh, he, he is a crucial player for us and sometimes I just wonder does does the system he plays in in Burnley get the best out of him I mean you guys would be a better judge of that and you get to watch them more I listen to a lot of the games and certainly you know there's more in Jeff Hendrick maybe than some Burnley fans have seen Yeah we, we, we saw kind of a new lease of life for him recently when he was played out on that right, right wing and he almost had a bit more freedom uh, when he wasn't in the centre and uh, and and seemed to kind of just win back a bit a few you know some of the Burnley fans who had kind of got him pegged as a you know as kind of not really doing what he promised to do when, you know when we paid all that money for him a couple of years back. Um, yeah, another Burnley's uh, Irish contingent sadly uh, had to hang up his books last week. Johnny Walters has finally had to give in to the injuries and 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 the age. Probably he's been a great servant for Ireland, hasn't he? Yeah, and. Extremely likable guy as well. Uh, I know the lads in the Burnley camp probably got got used to that as well, and maybe the fans didn't get to see him on the field as much as they would have liked to because of those injuries. But yeah, he he had some huge 
days for in the Irish jersey, and he was a big part of you know the twenty twelve European Championships, which we didn't really play that well. But he, he was a very hard working forward for us, and then again, you know, right up to twenty sixteen. So, I uh, look, he's really liked in Ireland, uh, and he's had a tremendous career. And I was, I was really disappointed. I was very excited when he came to Burnley because I just felt all right. He's at the tail end of his career, but I thought he could be quite effective for us, and I think he could have been. Um, even especially in those early European games, for example, I was really hoping we'd see a bit of them in that where we needed a bigger squad, anyways. Uh, but it didn't work out that way. But yeah, he's uh, he got a great send off in Ireland and, and lots of great articles and and coverage of his uh, career. We're we're going around doing the rounds there in the last few weeks and justifiably so. Absolutely, yeah, a great servant for the country. Um, so Burnley got back to winning ways over the weekend. So it was a good good sporting weekend all round for for anybody who's following Burnley and Mayo. Um, just uh, half a dozen games left now for Burnley in this season. Do you see them surviving? Do you see them uh, fighting off the uh, the challenge of Cardiff and, and staying up? Yeah, I definitely do. I mean, I, I was a bit concerned maybe a couple of weeks ago, right, with Cardiff winning. I think we probably all, and you've probably talked about it already in the podcast, but that result on Sunday, obviously, for Chelsea was, was a massive one because we were all being a little bit more worried. Had Cardiff got the result there and got the win, um, so yeah, I certainly, I certainly feel they're going to be okay. It's not a very high points tally to end up on and be safe. And I think I would have been shocked if you had told me at the start of the season we would have been down around uh, 36, 37 points and, and safe. So it's been a rocky road, that's for sure. Um, but yeah, I, I'd be pretty confident. And look, I, I think bigger picture, I, I'd also be really hopeful for the future. I just think. We probably need to develop a little bit more in our style. That was something that when I came away from St. James's Park. I was, you fear that if Sean Dyche ever left, for good reasons or for bad, and it's highly unlikely going to be for bad with what all the Grady's done, um, there could be a real hole in terms of trying to get another manager in who A, is either going to play that system or B, going to find players for a new system. So, look, I mean, brighter minds in football will assess that better than I will, but that's just something I'd be concerned about. But I, I think something in Ireland, I'll give you this example, Matt, the Georgia game was hugely well received in Irish football and I think it's the first time in about I would say maybe a decade that there's major major positivity around the qualifiers so the European Championship in 2016 was a bowl for the blue and they they won a game against Italy and it was it was a nice moment but it always felt like an outlier so the reason why is Mick McCarty has come back in and he's just put in a lot more emphasis on retaining possession and staying in an attack mode when we get ahead it's a big problem in Ireland, and it's, it's, I think it's a bit of a problem with Burnley as well. So I think football culture is kind of changing. I think what fans want to see is work rate, uh, a kind of a commitment to attack, even, even when you have a lead. Uh, and I definitely think in terms of Ireland, it was interesting to see this massive change in terms of enthusiasm around the national team. And I think you might start seeing it in attendances and might actually start selling out games at the Aviva again. From a Burnley perspective, I just think maybe going forward, I'm delighted with what Sean Dyche has done. I'm, I'm, I'm really, really proud that we're a Premier League team. Um, but yeah, you just worry about building a future on this kind of system. Well, Rob, it's been wonderful having you on. If people want to find you on Twitter and follow you, where can they find you? And where can they find your podcast if they're interested in listening to discussions about all things Gaelic football and, in particular, Mayo related? Yeah, it might be a good introduction. It might be a good introduction to the sport actually, uh, because we've had a, a really good weekend. The podcast is the Mayo News Football Podcast. Uh, search for that in Google and you'll find it. Uh, this week's episode is the League Champions uh, show and I think you'll really enjoy the excitement and the enthusiasm uh, around that one as we uh, tell the story of the day. Uh, you can get me at Murphy Rob on Twitter. At, that's at Murphy Rob on Twitter as well. So yeah, listen, it's great to be on that and it's amazing to discover that the one of the lads I'm listening to on the No Name Never podcast is a, is a Mayo fan. It's, it's great. Um, <laughs> I was surprised. Didn't think there was going to be too many Mayo fans based in Burnley but uh, brilliant stuff. 
Good stuff. Yep, it's a very small podcasting and footballing world it is. <laughs> it surely is. It surely is. Thanks so much, Rob. Thanks for having me on, guys. Take care now. Well, I think that's all we've got time for this week on the Known and Neighbour podcast. Thank you to Tom for coming on again and uh, sharing his views on uh, the weekend's win. Thanks to Robbie and to Dave and uh, Natalie. Hopefully, we'll be back with you next week to uh, look back at what will hopefully be a point or even three down on the south coast. I've been producer Matt. This is the Known and Never podcast. Until next time. days are great but there's nothing quite like playing at home the same goes for mcdonald's maximize your home ground advantage with mcdelivery order now on the mcdonald's app at participating restaurants 18 plus serving times delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonald's.com normally being a little extra can be a bit much but when it comes to health care it pays to be extra and United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. Talk sport. Powered by fans.